welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is part three of our gospel series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan will challenge us to sharpen our ability to share Jesus' story. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. First week of this series of the gospel, we talked about your story, and I wanted everyone to understand that you have an amazing story if you've trusted in Christ as Savior. If you have trusted in Jesus as Savior, then the all-powerful creator of the world has done something in you that the rest of the world who hasn't trusted in him, that doesn't rely on him, they don't have. And so you have something amazing to tell. And I shared, you know, my story, my bland-sounding story of young boy grows up in church and one day believes in God. Uh, you know, I don't have a big spectacular story. There's not a big, huge title But I shared with you all the steps of faith along the way. I shared with you about the struggles that I've had and the questions and everything else. And I want to tell you that your story is the most powerful one you have to share in order to open the door to share the greatest story of Jesus Christ. And so then last week we talked about their story. So first of all, you need to practice and get used to your story. I I always say write it out. Write out your personal story of faith. It will help you be able to share it. And then last week, we said that we need to be concerned with their story. Before anyone is going to give us the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, they have to believe that we care about them, at least on some level, or why in the world would they listen to us about something like spirituality? And, you know, one of the things that we have encouraged people to do this month, we've really impressed it upon our Uh, those going through small group leader training and everything else, and we would love for each and every person in the church to do it, is to find someone who's a neighbor, whether it's a a physical neighbor, preferably someone that lives close to you that maybe you don't know that well. Um, Maybe you just have a cookout for all of your neighbors, that that's easier than trying to just invite one person or one couple over to your home uh, to have dinner with, but to find time to invest in the people around you. It may never turn into a spiritual conversation, But Jesus came and he loved everyone around him knowing full well that most would reject him. And he loved them anyway because showing people that we care about them and love of God is the nature of Christ, right? So it may not necessarily be sharing the gospel verbally or even sharing the message of how to get to heaven at that moment, but the first step in almost any relationship is just letting people that know that we care about them as individuals whether or not we ever even get the chance to talk to them about Jesus, And so, over the next couple of weeks, find a time to be able to invest in someone who lives near you. Just get to know them a little bit. Just spend a little bit of time with them, however that may be. And so, I know that may be nerve-wracking for you and everything else. Again, if we say we're going to be a people that goes out to share our faith, I am not the kind of preacher that likes to just say things and then have no expectation of us following through. I'm going to give us tangible, bite-sized tasks and steps that we can do to make this thing happen. So if we want to share our faith, know your story, right? Know your story, write it out. Know someone else's story. Take the time to get to know someone that you don't know. And, uh, and we would really encourage you to, to, over the next couple of weeks, to, to do that tangibly, visibly in your neighborhoods. And then the third today, we're going to talk about his story, Jesus' story. Because in the end, we want to be able to share the story of Jesus Christ. And so if you're a believer in Christ, here's the question I have for us to answer today. If we believe that that Jesus is Savior, and so the creator of the world, right, the the creator of the universe, 
the one who died on the cross to save us, if, if we believe in that, then why aren't we more in awe of his story on a daily basis? Why aren't we more prone to share it? You know, if you have an amazing story happen to you at work or you happen to your family or something you see that's just out, you know, that's just, you know, stupendous, that it's something that you usually share quick and often, right? You tell people, you want them to hear it. So why don't we do that as believers more often with the greatest story in Jesus Christ? Well, kind of the best idea that, that I had uh, kind of the last couple of weeks, it, it came to me while uh, we were at home one time. It's not a big secret that I'm a big Razorbacks fan. Always been since I was a kid, grew up in Arkansas. It's honestly part of the reason why I decided to come to the university and graduated here uh, just to be around, you know, the university and all of that. Um, I could say it was academics, but no, really, I just, I just wanted to be a Razorback fan. Um, and so because of that, it's been a it's been a tough weekend around the Flanagan house. Now, y'all may know that I'm a Razorback fan, and I do love Razorback baseball, but I do not hold a candle to one Jessica Flanagan. My wife watches pretty much every pitch that is thrown, either us throwing it or us hitting at it, uh, of Razorback baseball. And so, uh, you know, anytime I bring up that certain subject, she says, I just I don't want to talk about it. We were eating last night, and it was on TV, and I said, oh, there's a World Series. I don't want to talk about it. She just don't want to talk about it, but we're in church. This is where you bring your problems. And so I thought I'd bring it up today. Because, you know, it's been a little tough around the Flanagan house because she was so excited to keep watching and, you know, and everything else. And she loves me, but not as much as baseball. And so it's all right. A couple of weeks, and I'll be number one again. But uh, so as you watch it, and a couple of weeks ago when I talked about your story, I mentioned the Olympics and why one of the reasons the Olympics is so great, and it's because you get to see these stories from all over the world. And when you're seeing these stories from different countries and different backgrounds and what people have to overcome, that in America we think, you know, life is hard, but we have no real idea, real concept of that based on what people go through around the world. Uh, And so when you watch the Olympics, you hear all these great stories. But it really doesn't matter what team you watch. And so even a group of baseball players here at the U of A, they have some amazing stories and um, you can throw this slide up, and here's three players that if you watch this season, you heard, you heard these stories time and time and time again. The guy on the left is Patrick Wicklander, and he is a pitcher. And uh, last year, uh, if you don't know, he lost like 30 pounds, uh, which he was a baseball player in great shape. So losing 30 pounds is not like me losing 30 pounds. Everyone's like, yeah, about time. Wicklander does it. There's a major problem. And when they took him to the hospital, his blood sugar was so high, it was extremely critical. And they found out that, I mean, just, he became a, a diabetic. He was, it was very life-threatening. And then uh, now he's overcome that, actually, in this picture. I believe yeah, it shows he's got the insulin pump in his back pocket and, uh, and wears that all the time. And so it's an amazing story about how a guy was close to death and then becomes uh, our main starting pitcher. Uh, and then uh, in the middle, you've got uh, Bob Moore, uh, Robert Moore, which his story isn't like he came out of nowhere. This, this guy grew up in the home of a Major League Baseball executive, right? His dad's the GM at the Kansas City Royals. You will hear that every single game the Razorbacks play, uh, among other facts. And so, But to take somebody with such high expectations and then the pressure that comes with that uh, for him to still succeed... And then in this past offseason, his story that he has been telling this year is how that he really got his life realigned with his relationship with Christ and about how much it has impacted him. 
And, uh, and that was talked about often uh, on, the, on the TV, which is a wonderful thing. And then the guy on the far right, um, most people in America, if you follow college sports right now, you've heard his name was Kevin Copps, who just had the, the best year of a pitcher uh, almost ever heard of in college baseball. And so you heard his story, and he's been here like six years. He's 24, uh, and he was always a good pitcher but not a great pitcher. And then last year, he kept trying to be something he wasn't, you know, kept trying to throw pitches that didn't come natural to him, and he just focused on what he was best at, and he says, and really spent last year getting his life and his priorities with God in order, and he credits that as to being what gave him just such an amazing year. And so you have these amazing stories, and here's, why, here's what I want to share with you about them. If you've never heard them before, you're like, wow, those are some really neat things. We've heard them 60-plus times because that's how many games we've played. And so every so often, the game would be on, and they'd say, Bob Moore's up to bat. And I would yell to Jessica, I was like, did you know his favorite player was Chipper Jones? Within 30 seconds, they'd say, talk about Bob Moore and his idol was Chipper Jones. Or Christian Franklin would be up, and I'd say, hey, did you know that he played baseball in Kansas with Bob Moore? And they'd talk about that because we've heard these stories time and time and time again. So if you've never heard them, amazing, right? If you've heard them 60 times, maybe they lose their punch a little bit. But if you stop to think about what any individual has overcome, about the things that they have done, the the tragedy that they've faced, the adversity that they have pushed through, then their story is amazing every single time. And so for us as believers who have heard the story of Jesus not 60 times, Maybe not even 600 times, maybe 6,000 times is low for you. The story of Jesus sometimes can lose its punch, and we forget how powerful it is, how amazing it is, about what he did for us, and about what it can mean for everyone else. And so today, the story of Jesus is amazing, and for the sake of the gospel, or at least for the sake of us being excited to share it, we need to do our best to frequently, not just today, but frequently look at the message of the gospel with fresh eyes and to see how wonderful it is. What makes his grace so amazing? Why is it the greatest story ever told? And then why shouldn't we be in awe every time we think about it? So we're going to look at four different things today. And uh, instead of just kind of getting into one passage and digging through it, I'm going to a few different places because I want to share with you some of the aspects of his story, the story of Jesus that stand out to me the most. And uh, like I said, in a few weeks, we're actually going to spend an entire Sunday where we just go through uh, the concept of share Jesus without fear, about how to share the gospel with others. And there's an app to go with it. And like you say, I'm a very practical guy, so I love for us to do that. But today, I want to get into some of those things about Jesus and his story that mean the most to me. And hopefully, they'll mean something to you. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is where we're going to start. And the first thing that is possibly the most difficult thing to understand about the story of Jesus Christ is that he is God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Trinity today. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's a very, very long discussion. We've preached on it. We can, I can link you to those sermons and link you to the other information about it. It is not something that our mortal minds can ever fully comprehend, although I can help you be able to understand that. But that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are, while they are different aspects of the nature of God, that they are all God. 
They are all eternal. And so Jesus did not simply exist from the time he was sent to earth going forward. He is God. When you look in scripture, it talks about him and he referencing him being part of creation. He references himself as I am in the same way that God spoke to Abraham. And in John chapter 10, Jesus talked about himself in such a way that I believe makes it clear that he said that he was God. John chapter 10 and verse 24. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now, when you just take the scripture and you take any verse, and you know, often that verse in verse 30 in John 10 is taken and is used to prove, right, that Jesus and God are one, that Jesus and, and God are part of the Trinity, that yes, while the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are different aspects of his character, but that he is God. But if you use that verse, and if you take that verse, and if you just use it at face value, it says that the Father and I are one. And people can come back, and they can make all sorts of claims trying to disprove that. Um, One of the things that uh, I used to do whenever I was a college pastor down in Little Rock is I would spend time in the student union when I didn't have other things going on or anything else. It was a large campus, but only a few hundred people actually lived on campus. Uh, you know, like 350 people out of 14,000. So it's a commuter school. But I would stay there because I'd, you know, be meeting with a student or someone else. We didn't have a place on campus. And uh, on days that I didn't have anything else to do, if somebody else had a a booth set up, like a a religious booth, I would sometimes stop and talk with them. It often happened that I would usually do that with Mormons or Muslims. And so um, I would, I would, honestly, I would tie them up for a long time. Um, But that was just me. So, uh, but I actually got to know the Muslim guys pretty decent uh, and talked with them and, you know, they would bring up different things and they would say, well, you don't understand because you don't know the languages. And I'd pull out my Greek New Testament because I was actually taking that and they're like, oh, okay, well, we can't use that argument. But one of the things that they would do when you would try and say that Jesus is the son of God, but that that also means that he is God himself, in Islam, that is blasphemy, right? Just like it was And that's what they charged Jesus with. Uh, That's what the Jews charged him with. And so in Islam, they said that no, when it says that he and the Father are one, that they are on the same team, that they are, you know, pushing for the same goal, that they are moving in the same direction. And so you have to understand that whenever you look at Scripture and you read a verse, to you it may seem very plain and clear, but other people say, no, that's not what it means. But I love this one, right? I love John 10, 30. Because verse 31 exists, and 32 and 33. So Jesus said to them that you don't know who I am because you're not my sheep. You're not listening. And he said, the Father and I are one. And here's what it said in John 10, verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And in verse 33, they replied... We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, 
claim to be God. So you can debate all you want about what John 10.30 means. But the people who were sitting there listening to Jesus on that day knew what he meant. The people who were sitting there listening to Jesus Christ knew that he was saying that he was God. That's why they wanted to stone him. That's why they wanted to kill him. Because Jesus himself, during his ministry, claimed to be God. And so that's what we can know, that through Scripture, Jesus is God. He claimed to be God. The people around Jesus knew that he was claiming to be God. And that's why they wanted to kill him. You know, if you go to Philippians 2, 7, it talks about that Jesus emptied himself. And so the whole idea of God being eternal, being part of the creator, being in control of everything, and then emptying himself and coming and living among us in the form of the Son, living among us and still being God, still knowing, still having power, but limiting himself in so many different ways giving up so much of who he was so he could be everything that we needed. That, to me, is one of the most amazing parts of his story. Not just that he is God, but that he was willing to give up all of that because he loved us so much. He was willing to lay all that aside, even though he had full rights to it and could have picked up, <laughs> picked up that mantle anytime. He left it laid down until after he put his life on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is God and chose, chose to give that up and put uh, his rights aside to die for us. And that brings us to the second point. He was God who gave up so much. And the second to me is that death is the only payment for sin. Now we say to ourselves, and I've been asked so many times, why did he have to die on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Isn't there another way? If he is God... Couldn't he create another way for him to save us? Couldn't God, if he's in control of everything, couldn't he set up a different path in order to provide salvation for mankind? And so I want to turn to Romans chapter 5, and then we'll read one uh, verse in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 5, it says, when we, in verse 6, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So the entire story of the gospel comes down in the end to the sacrifice that is made for us, and that is in Jesus Christ. And verse 8 says he showed his love for us, that he died for us while we were still sinners, that we didn't deserve it, that yeah, you might die for somebody you love or somebody that you think is worth dying for, but Jesus died for us. We don't deserve it, but through his death, we can be saved because of his life. And so the whole idea then is why did it have to be that way? Why did Jesus have to die? 
And there are obviously a lot of ways that people can explain it and everything else, but I think the best way that I've seen it explained and, and from different writers or, or other people or just, you know, and trying to understand all the Scripture together is that everything God does is part of revealing His nature to us. And so, where did justice come from? Right? Where did morality come from? Where did a sense of morality, which seems to be fleeting today, but where do any of that sense of morality or anything else in the world, where do those things come from? If not being revealed from the nature of God who created us, who created this world. So all order and all everything else is part of God revealing himself to us. And especially when you get into the ideas of sin and righteousness, of justice and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. Those aren't concepts that God created. Those are parts of God's nature that are then revealed to us and explained the best way they can. We can't fully understand the love of God because it is such a perfect love born out of his nature for us that it is different than anything that we can truly offer someone else. While we don't always understand justice and the decisions on justice and mercy or why he would provide grace to us, that's a gift that we don't deserve, that's something that we haven't earned, why he would offer that to us, it's because God's nature is to do that for those that he loves, even if they don't love him back. And part of that is the idea that sin separates us from that perfectness of God. Sin separates us from that nature of God, who he is, all loving, all knowing, all caring. And the only thing that can bring us back is that same perfectness of God. And so the idea that God chose to die on the cross and the idea that God could do something different, Jesus dying on the cross and God giving part of himself as a sacrifice for us wasn't just a rule he created. It's an extension of his nature, that he is perfect with perfect love and perfect grace, but also perfect judgment. And so he can't let our sin go without being paid for. And so he himself, in his nature, had to give the perfect sacrifice. God didn't make up a rule that he had to live by. He is the rule. He is, in his divine nature, perfection. And so everything that he did for us and the plan of salvation is born out of who he is. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and willing to sacrifice everything because he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's all-loving. It's just an extension of God. And so while we would say, God, surely you could have chose a different way, God's like, this is who I am. This is a part of my nature. If we would say to ourselves, but wouldn't it have been easier? Well, yes, but that's not who I am. And so Jesus dying on the cross was the only way. And so when the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's just revealing to us part of his nature. Part of the nature of God that sin is what separates us and that his gift of grace is all that brings us back. It's who he is. 
And so Jesus is God. He said it himself, and they wanted to kill him for it. So people today may debate what some of those verses meant. Everybody there listening to Jesus knew that he was saying he was God. And he had to die on the cross. There wasn't another way. It's, a re- it's revealing to us the nature of God, and that's why it happened. The third thing that stands out to me so much is that Jesus knew his fate, but still loved and served. How many of you, if you knew that if you worked really hard for someone or you did something really nice for somebody and that you got absolutely no appreciation for it, or if anything, maybe you even, you know, they, all they did was complain about it, how many of you would go back and still put in the time and the effort and the work to do it? I, I think probably very little of us, right? And so Jesus, when he came to earth, knew that most people would reject him. And he himself, while he was here, he struggled in human form with pain and with suffering and with heartache and with all of those other things. Like I said, he emptied himself and he put his own rights aside so he could suffer and go through life with us as one of us. And in doing so, even at the end of his life, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was taken away, you know, he cried out and he said that, you know, the, the part of him that was there and suffering said that he would love to not have to go through what he was about to have to go through. He would love for that cup of suffering to be taken away, but that he was willing to do it because it was the will of the Father. One of the passages in, is in uh, John chapter 6, where he was talking to them and he was, he was telling them about you know, God's plan. And in John chapter 6 and verse 38... He says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up that last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. So Jesus came, and the whole time he knew God's plan. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew the suffering. He knew the struggle. He knew the pain. He knew all of those things. And still yet, he said, okay. He said, okay, the people that I want to come and that I'm going to share this story with, they're going to reject me. How do I know? They've rejected the prophets. They've rejected others. I know they're going to reject me because I'm also God and I know these things. I'm still willing to do it for all of those who will look to my sacrifice and believe. For everyone who will rely on me, I am willing to come and to die in spite of all those who reject. And even those who come, even those who believe in me, I understand that they're not going to be perfect in everything else, but because of my nature and my love for them and Jesus' willingness to do the will of the Father and not give in to the, to the pain and the struggle and the conflict that humanity brings, shows how great he is. And so Jesus is God. He had to die for our sins. It was the only way. It's part of revealing God's character to us. That he was willing to come and to do all that and to do the will of the Father no matter what it cost, even though he knew that so many would reject him. And then the final thing to me is that Jesus died for each one of us, whether we accept him or not. And in the end, that is that personal 
choice we have to make. When we realize he's God, that he had to die on the cross, that he chose to do it no matter what people did, and that ultimately that means you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last passage I want to share today, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, it says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so for each and every one of us, when you start thinking about his story, there may be different aspects of the gospel message that stick out to you the most. Today, you got to hear mine, right? These are the things that when I think how amazing what Jesus did is, these are the things that come to my mind about how he is God and that he chose to put all of that aside for me. That he had to die, not because he chose it to be that way as much as it is that his perfect nature of who he is requires that kind of payment for my sin. And still yet, he was willing to create me. And he was willing to give me the ability to choose what I was going to do with my life. And those choices involve sin. And he was still willing, because he loved me in his nature, to die for me. And that Jesus came and he suffered all of these things, even though he knew that so many would reject him, even though he knew that, yes, Jeremy's going to believe, but he's going to fail me so many times, that Jesus was still willing to do that because it's the will of the Father, and he will push through any and everything to complete that will. And that's what Jesus did. And then finally, I had a choice to make, and so do you. Jesus died, as it says here, he died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. And that person, those who do receive him, will become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It's not that when you believe in Christ that everything is better. It's not that that temptation goes away. It's not that your mistakes will cease. It's that you have, have put yourself in the hands of Jesus. And when it comes to that point of eternity, whether you're going to spend an eternity with him in heaven or an eternity apart from him in hell, that you have chosen him. And because you have done that, he is God. His nature required him to die for us. He did it for you. And when you said yes to him, you can be a new person in Christ. I hope that you have made that decision today. And whatever the things are about his story that speak to you, if you are a believer, think on those things. Think how wonderful they are. Because the more we think about them, the more ready we're going to be able to share it. Just as important as some story we see on a ball game or something we read in the news or something unlifting that a friend tells us. The story of Jesus Christ is the greatest story that we have. Right? It is the greatest thing we can share, and we need to start looking at it that way. But if you are here and you have questions, I get that too. There are a lot of questions about Jesus. There are a lot of questions about what faith means. As our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, if you're here today and you're still asking some of those questions, 
I would love to talk with you. I'm going to be standing up front, and I would love to share with you Scripture about who Jesus is. I've talked a lot about his story today, and so I would love to tell you more. I would love to talk to you greater about how that he lived and his death on the cross and the fact that he was resurrected three days later by his own power shows he has the power to save you. I would love to talk to you about his love. I would love to talk to you about the fact that his arms are wide open just waiting. If you're here and you have questions about what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you today. I would love for you to make that decision. But every single one of us, need to focus on his story and remember how great it is. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to take some next steps this week. One, sharpen your ability to share Jesus' story. If someone asked you what it takes to get to heaven, what would your answer be? Take time this week to write it out. Two, be ready to share your answers to the following questions. How is your life better with your faith in Christ. How do you deal with unanswered questions? For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.